Friday, October 22nd, episode 119 of The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm going to try to start bringing some of these clips to YouTube, get back on YouTube here, so bear with me while I get used to being back on camera while recording the podcast. It's a dolo thing. It's a little different. But as always, I'm going to get right into it. I want to start in the East because obviously this is subjective, but is the East more interesting than the West this season? Because it just feels like there are more stories and kind of unknowns. Don't get me wrong. The West is loaded as always, right? And it's going to be super competitive, but we kind of already know these teams. There's some stuff, right? We'll see how it plays out. You know, the Lakers are going to be on uh, on Front Street all season long, right? With all the stars and, and Hall of Famers and all that stuff. But I think that the East all of a sudden, at least in my eyes, has become just more intriguing. So I'll start with the new look Bulls visiting the Detroit Pistons. I believe it was Wednesday night where they almost took an L to a Pistons team without the number one pick, Cade Cunningham, still out with an ankle injury. Now, I think it's understandable that the Bulls don't come blazing out of the gates because what is their starting lineup completely new? Pretty much, right? I saw a team that was being too unselfish with the basketball, right? That, that's what happened. All these new teammates, everybody wants to share and doesn't want to be the ball hog. And it wound up in some inefficient shots, particularly for Vucevic. Zach Levine took them home late, right? They got it together and they pulled it out. So we'll see. I think that they'll have to figure out their offense. And I think Vucevic is going to have to figure out like how to be assertive amongst other good players. And I mean, he put up plenty of shots. They were just weird. It was the offense looked a little weird, but I couldn't help but think how good would that backcourt of Lonzo and Caruso look in a Lakers uniform right now? They made all the little plays down the stretch. They didn't score. It wasn't scoring. It was nuanced stuff. It was back tap rebounds. It was fronting the post. It was doubling at the right time. The help rotations, Caruso and Lonzo just doing the little things. And I think Chicago's got to be excited about those two blending in with the scores that they have now. Now, Patrick Williams, would he take three shots? Got to fix that, Billy Donovan. Got to fix that, right? But Chicago gets win one in Detroit. As far as the Pistons, they finished the game with Corey Joseph on the floor. Killian Hayes was 0 of 6 in 20 minutes. And then you saw Jeremy Grant just trying to do way too much down the stretch. Right? He was just trying to do way too much. And I like Jeremy Grant, but I think on paper, if you're a Pistons fan, you say, okay, well, Sadiq and Grant are going to be way better players and way more efficient when they're able to play off Cade. That's the game plan, right? You don't want them necessarily creating their own shot a whole bunch. And that's what you saw down the stretch and they fell apart where the Bulls obviously have much better shot creators in DeMar and Zach. But, you know, I think that the Pistons, they, I hate, I hate to shit on y'all, but I, I they reek of a team that's going to overvalue their young talent. I've seen it so many times, especially like Sacramento, right? Where you look, you're like, oh, they got some young guys, right? And it just never comes to fruition, really, to what you would expect it to be. And we'll see, man. I'm high on Kate. I like Isaiah Stewart, right? I think the big whiff was Killian in the lottery last year. And the sooner they come to grips with that, the better. Don't stunt Cade and the other's growth by trying to work Killian into the mix. If he's a bust, he's a bust. If he's a backup role player, then that's what he's going to be. Don't force it. Staying in the East, I'm sure most of you caught this Boston Knicks game. Was it on ESPN? Double overtime. 
The Knicks, I didn't realize, I know they had signed Fournier, but in my mind, it was like, well, they're kind of the same team, but they're kind of not because if you consider that Obi Toppin now year two is ready to contribute, had some big explosive plays out in transition. If they play fast, Obi will thrive, right? We know how, how gifted he is out in transition. RJ Barrett, one year better. And then of course they got Kemba for nothing. So they can come at you in waves. They're, they're pretty deep, man. And it's just, it's fun to see the garden lit up with excitement. But then late in the game, the ISO Randall stuff, man. Like I thought they learned from this last year. I thought they, it's just too predictable. There's no ball movement. It's just ISO and the defense can load up on them. There's, and it's not even a diss on Randall. There are not too many guys that can score when the defense is set and loaded up and you're playing like that. It becomes too predictable. And the fact of the matter is Thibodeau kind of got exposed as a coach late in that game. I think everybody thinks of Tibbs as this elite coach. What he is, what he is, is he's an elite motivator. And he's a guy that that brings discipline. And he was thought of as innovative for his defensive schemes way back when, you know, switching really wasn't a thing and all that, the uh, icing of the screens and all that. But the overall big picture and offense, the execution was was nuts. They don't guard, obviously, they don't guard the three-point line, which sent it into overtime, right? At one point, they didn't know they had a foul to give. They didn't take advantage of a two-for-one. Like, these were flagrant things that you would put on the coach. You can say, well, the players play the game, but there, there was enough stoppages late in that game where it should have been communicated from the coaching staff. So I think if you're a Knicks fan, you're excited at the depth. Fournier bailed you out. He looks like uh, he's well worth the money. Obi Toppin, is he going to be in the mix, right? So you can be excited about your roster being better and, and guys taking steps forward. But ultimately, is your co- if your coach is going to keep doing the same thing, you're probably going to get the same results. Us for Boston goes... I'm really interested to see with Brad Stevens in charge how aggressive they are because to me, they look like a team that's just not good enough. They're good. They're good. They'll make the playoffs, right? And they'll just be kind of like the Pacers, right? The Pacers, they make the playoffs. They're good, but they're not really contenders. And they're kind of at a spot where it'd be very easy to kind of just stand pat and say, all right, well, internal development, Tatum and Brown will get better. Uh, Pritchard, Williams, right? They've got enough young players where they can convince themselves, we'll just keep getting better. I don't know about all that. And it's just one game. I don't want to overreact, but is Jason Tatum, he might just be the light-skinned Paul George, right? All the talent in the world, but he's just not really a killer. He's not the guy. And so maybe the question really is, do we have it mixed up? Is Jason Tatum Robin to Jalen Brown's Batman? And again, one game. I know Jalen Brown went off and all that. But um, yeah, no, I mean, again, there's just so many interesting teams in the East in Boston. Like, I'm not shitting on them. They're good. They're good. But, you know, Boston is a, a, such a historical franchise. I don't have to tell Celtic fans in this, right? Like, y'all, y'all, it's championship or bust for y'all. And I'm not saying that every year, but y'all aren't going to be just content being a perennial playoff team, you know, a four or five seed that gets knocked out in the second round every year, right? And that's what it looks like they're set up to be. I don't know how much more, I don't know how much better Tatum's going to get. But again, maybe Brown's the saving grace. I don't know if you saw Grant Williams late looking like Grandma Ma out there. But that was a crazy game, crazy finish. Jumping around here, Wolves thumped the Rockets. Here's something early to keep an eye on. Again, it's so early returns. We've seen guys play one games, but Anthony Edwards, he's grown. He's six foot six now. Would he have like a 30-point game? He was killing the Rockets, which a lot of, a lot of teams are. But is Anthony Edwards, is Ant-Man going to take 
like the leap into superstardom year two. We're seeing it happen quicker and quicker with these kids that are ready to come out in both basketball and football, right? You're seeing the quarterbacks are ready, and, and it's the same thing in, in, in basketball where they've played so much hoops. And, and again, to get back to the Tatum-Brown point, right? Guys kind of reach their peaks a little sooner now because the skills are developed and they play so much in the youth. And so Edwards, man, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this becomes his team this year, if he becomes the alpha dog of that, of that Minnesota Timberwolves team. And they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of talent. Last night, Heat, Bucks, Heat just rolled the Bucks off the floor. They had no uh, Brooke, no Drew, and no Portis. And so it was, I didn't even watch it. I, I, I watched a little bit. I saw P.J. Tucker hammer the shit out of Giannis. Letting them know, like, yo, we ain't wearing the same jersey no more, cuz, right? So I saw that, but yeah, it wasn't really a competitive game. And I'll think, what, what can you do if you're Milwaukee? You got to just keep the big picture in mind. Now, the other game on TNT, the early game, Dallas and Atlanta, Luca and Trey, forever connected. <laughs> um, no, but you know, Dallas, I'm curious to see what Jason Kidd's influence is on Luka Doncic because, like, look, Luca plays at his own pace, right? I think Kidd knows enough to know, like, he's not going to play fast like Jay Kidd did. But Jason Kidd, one of the greatest passers of all time, is he going to influence or encourage, I should say, Luca to be less selfish, man? And some of you may say, well, you're going to point. I know the numbers, some people, oh, well, Luca averages seven, eight assists. But if you watch the games, Luca is low key selfish with the ball. Like, he only makes passes when he wants to. And there's, they ask him to do a lot. I understand that. And sometimes I think he gets into uh, like hero ball mode, right? But Luca, I think, could empower his teammates more. That would be the next step for him because you already talk about his conditioning and can he hold up? Well, how he could help himself in that way would be to, again, empower his teammates and create for, for others so he has to do less physically. Atlanta really dominated them. And you see he's trying to change their defense. He's running out the Jason Kidd, that is. He's trying to run out, you know, the hard hedge and maybe some blitzing and, and get them more aggressive. But look, man, you know I keep it real with you. But like Dallas, I don't think they have the personnel to be good defensively regardless of the scheme. And, you know, you, you Mark Cuban, a couple of years ago, he came out and he basically kind of said like, yo, the, we like European players. Like they're just better. You know what I mean? They're just more skilled. And, you know, and it, I think everybody understands who Mark Cuban is and what he's saying. Obviously, Dirk and, you know, now Luca, but you got KP. And, and he has a point to where, like, in today's league, the Europeans, they do tend to have more skill. And a lot of them are tough. I get it, right? But look, if you're going to roll out three Europeans in your starting lineup, you're probably not going to be that good defensively. That's just the facts. You know, I'm looking at their roster. And did y'all know that they cut Terrell Terry, the 31st pick from a year ago from Stanford? Remember, it's supposed to be a little mini Trey Young, Steph Curry type kid. And that seems a little premature, premature to me. Now, they decided to keep Frank Nilakina, former Nick, right? And he's some, some more size, some defense, kind of of the Jason Kidd ilk. I could see where Kidd would like Nilakina, right? A big defensive guard. But uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked to hear that. I th a lot of people had high hopes for Terrell Terry. He just couldn't stay healthy. Last year, summer league, they just didn't get a good enough look at him. So I'll be interested to see if teams pick him up. As far as Kristaps Porzingis goes, you know, I heard this was a big year for him. Breakout year. It is. It is. He looks the same to me. He looks the same to me. He Like physically and all that. And to me, what I see is why does KP rush? 
He's, what is he, like 7'3", right? To me, he does things a little too sped up. It's like, chill, bro. Take your time. You're getting that shot off regardless. The little one-footer, the fade, whatever. You know, he doesn't like to post up a whole lot. But it's like, you're getting your shot off regardless. You can take a beat to make sure you're squared and on balance. He tries to play too quick is what I see offensively from KP. But yeah, man, I was impressed. I don't know how you couldn't have been impressed with the Hawks. They're super deep. They, they could fuck around and, and win the East. I like the Gorgie Zhang pickup, man. I never understood why he has never really found a home as a backup center. He spreads the floor. He's, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe it's his motor. I haven't seen him enough, but you know, they pick him up. Cam Reddish looks like he's going to take a step. And, uh, you know, there's, I, I, I'll tell you what, I look at this Atlanta roster and I wonder if they could package a couple of these young guys for a true second star for Trey Young. For instance, Zach Levine and the Chicago thing goes south. And he's like, hey, man, I'm not resigning here, right? You could go package some of these young players and put him in the backcourt with Trey. Not a lot of defense there, but you might might score a buck 30 a night. Now, maybe they don't want to trade within the conference like that, but could they go get Ben Simmons? Because think about this for a second. Hear me out here. You could offer the Sixers bogey, Cam Reddish, and let's just say Young Akongwu, who's out with the shoulder surgery. So Philly gets an in, a difference maker. Bogdanovich can run point for Philly. A, a shooter, right? Cam Reddish, there's the potential. There's like the, the lottery pick with the potential. And then another lottery pick. That might be too much for Ben, if you ask me. Now that I think, now that I say it out loud. But what you're doing is you're adding, obviously, an all-defensive player. You're tightening up the defense. He can play the four, the five. And what you tell Trey Young is, you go, look, bro, the next step for you is you got to play a little more like Steph, meaning off ball. And it's going to preserve you, keep you fresh. It's going to give you longevity. And you're going to be even better. We'll use your gravity. So sometimes Ben's on ball and we're running point Ben. And then sometimes you're on ball. And we're better defensively. I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. I think Atlanta looks so good, though. I don't know why they tweak with anything. So then on to the nightcap, Warriors Clippers. Steph Curry comes out, big MVP energy. It was kind of awkward, right? Because the crowd was late trickling in with all the COVID protocols. He's trying to address the crowd. There's like 2,000 people there. It didn't stop him from getting off, right? And I thought the key to Steph getting going early was the ball was in his hands more. You, you noticed a lot of those threes in the, in the offense early in that first quarter, or I should say late when he really exploded, it was off the bounce. And I think that that should be the strategy for the Warriors and Steph Curry when you're going up against better defenses. When it's a young team or the defense isn't that solid, then all that motion, split action, off the ball movement, that works. The back doors, because they're not disciplined, right? But when you got a team like the Clippers, and we'll talk about them here in a second, that's physical and is going to be a better defensive team, you got to let Steph cook with the ball. Now you got to go back to, you know, the bread and butter of basketball and just pick and roll basketball. And so I thought that that's what helped him get off early in that game. And I'll tell you what, man, if he's going <laughs> to if he's going to start pulling up from the logo this routinely, you already know it's going to spread the floor even more. And I can't wait to see young Wiseman and Kaminga rolling hard down the middle of that floor with all that space. Man. Um but yeah, for those of you that are like, hey, Al, Al you, you ain't been on YouTube. I, I ain't never went nowhere. My patrons know I've been providing the content, pumping it out, and I'll have today's breakdown of, you know, later this afternoon, just like I do all the, every Warrior breakdown. So if you want to support me, check out the patron where I'll go into detail 
about the entire game. It'll probably be, you know, a 15, 16 minute breakdown and we'll cover it all. But I'll give you some quick hitters here. Uh, Bielitsa, Big Belly. We're all excited about him. Game two, he gets played off the floor, right? He gets played off the floor. You saw the Clippers, they were, they were picking on him. They were just ISOing him. You got Reggie, Paul George, um, I think even Kennard ISOed on him. It's going to happen. It's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. There's going to be nights like that. And I would almost argue it'll be cool, man, because it'll kind of preserve him. It'll kind of preserve him so that they don't, they don't overuse him because you know Kerr's going to want to. Jordan Poole, 4 of 14, and uh, didn't close the game. Dub Nation, we're super excited about him, and, and you should be, right? But there are still a lot of areas for him to grow. And again, we'll talk about it in the breakdown, but he, he's got to have to control his emotions, right? And then there's some physical stuff that I'm seeing as well that, uh, that he'll have to figure out. But, you know, you say all that and you say, well, we still got it done. I'll tell you this, though. I was more happy that, and again, this is early this morning, so I don't know the injury report for, uh, for Sunday's game, but it appears that we dodged two bullets last night. One with Andre, which looked super spooky, and then Draymond with the right wrist. And whatever happened to Draymond's wrist, he started to play way better after he hurt that wrist, but it looks like they're both okay. How devastating would that have been in game two of the season, right? And that, to me, them being okay is worth more than the win, obviously, and was more important than the win. However, you consider the context of that game, and down the stretch, all of a sudden, it kind of felt like a must-win in, in game two of the season. Because how many times in the last two seasons have we blown a huge night from Steph, right? And then to do it on the opening night at Chase Center? Couldn't do it, right? That would have been a bad look, and he bailed us out. But it, it was a team effort, man. D. Lee, some big shots. It was a good game. Again, I'll have the breakdown later. Um, as far as the Clippers go, though, they got some juice, right? They got some juice. Terrence Mann, Justice Winslow, Eric Bledsoe, all guys that get after it and are physical. And that's what you saw. Poole felt that, right? They were physical. They're dogs. They've, they've got some toughness. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to score enough, right, until Kawhi gets back. But I think that defensively, and athletically, they're pretty tough. They're pretty tough. And that's what we saw last night. So this morning, as I'm prepping to, to record this, I read that Ben Simmons has met with Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, and some of the Sixers uh, and said, oh, yeah, it's everybody's fault. And, and, but I, I, I'm, not, he, I'm not mentally prepared to play yet. I'm not mentally prepared to play yet. And uh, this is what y'all wanted. This is what y'all wanted, right? In 2021, people celebrated Simone Biles for quitting in the Olympics in, in blaming mental health for, for competing, right? And so now you're going to have people abuse this, take advantage of this now, right? It's like, because you can't, you can't say it's fake. It's one of those things. It's like, so hey, you remember when you were a kid and you didn't want to go to school, like you had a test or something or homework you didn't do, right? What would you tell your mom? I got a stomachache, right? Because you can't prove it. What do you, you can't prove it. Oh, do you? I'm sorry. It hurts so bad right now. The mental health excuse is the new stomachache for adults. And shit's disgusting. Seriously. Like, I was watching the uh, WNBA finals, right? Chicago Sky just blew the mercury off the floor. And then later I'm on Twitter and it's like, yeah, the mercury, they didn't shake hands or do media. They just got on the plane and left. Right? So I'm looking in the comments. And I see people talking about, well, good for them. Good for them. Really? 
Really? Is that again, that's what we've come to here where, you know, people are so afraid of the woke cancel culture and being accused of being a hater, they just praise anything, right? You're going to praise the team for for come on, man. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. I'm here to set shit straight though. This is the Hesi, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out show. Sure.